Book Three, Chapter Seventeen of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobera, translated by Robert Southey. Book Three, Chapter Seventeen. How King Lisuarte sent for his daughter Oriana to deliver her up to the Romans and of what happened with the knight of the firm island, and of the battle which Don Grumedan and the companions of the Greek knight fought against the three Roman challengers, and how after the Romans were conquered, the companions of the Greek knight went to the firm island, and of what they did there. You have heard how King Lisuarte sent Queen Sardamira to Miraflores, to talk to his daughter of the greatness of the Roman emperor, and of the high rank whereto she would be exalted by this marriage. Now you must know that he sent for her that she might depart, bidding Giontes, his nephew, take an escort for her, and suffer no knight to speak with her on the way. Giontes took with him Cangel of Sadoca and Lassenor and other guards, and went to Miraflores, and having placed Oriana in her litter, for she could not go in any other manner, by reason of her exceeding affliction and continual tears, they and Queen Sardamira and her company took the road to Tajades. On the second day of their journey, what you shall now hear befell them. Under some trees near the roadside there sat an armed knight upon a grey horse beside a fountain. He wore a green surcoat over his breastplate, fastened with green strings and eye-loops of gold, which appeared marvellously well. As soon as he saw them, he hung the shield round his neck, and took a lance, having a green pendant, and brandishing it a while, said to his squire, Go and say to the guards of Oriana that I request their leave to speak with her. It will be neither to their hurt nor to hers. If they will permit me, I shall thank them. If not, sorry as I shall be, they must try my strength. They laughed at his message, and replied, Tell your master he shall not see the princess, and that when he has done all he can do, he will have done nothing." But Oriana, hearing this, said to them, "'How does it concern you if this knight wishes to speak with me? Perchance he may bring tidings which I should rejoice to hear.' "'Lady,' replied Giontes, "'the king your father has ordered us to suffer none to speak with you.' With this answer the squire returned, and Giontes prepared for battle. He of the green arms immediately rode towards him. They met with a brave encounter, both brake their lances, but the horse of Giontes dislocated his foot in the shock and fell, and Giontes, having one foot in the stirrup, could not rise. The knight passed fairly by him, and then, turning, said, "'I beseech you, let me speak with Oriana.' "'You will not fail for my guarding her,' replied Giontes, "'but the fault was in my horse.' Gangiel of Sandoka then cried out to him not to touch that knight, or he should die for him. "'I shall have you anon in the same condition,' replied the knight of the green arms, and taking another lance, ran at him, but he missed his blow. Gangel smote him full on the shield, and brake his own lance, without moving him. He turned upon Gangel, who was now sword in hand, and drove at him with his spear, and sent him from the saddle. Lassenor then came on. The green knight dexterously avoided his lance, and made him lose that advantage. They dashed against each other, shield to shield, and Lessonor's shield-arm was broken with the shock. He of the green arms had drawn his sword, 
but seeing how Lassenar was disabled, would not wound him, but he cut the bridle of his horse, and smiting him with the side of his sword, sent him galloping away with his rider, at which he could not forbear laughing. Then he took out a letter, and went up to Oriana's litter. She, seeing how he had discomfited three such good knights, thought he was Amadis, and her heart panted, but he humbly saluting her, said, Lady, Agrayes and Don Florestan sent you this, wherein you will receive news that will give you great pleasure. God be with you, I must return to them, for certes they will need me, little worth as I am. Nay, quoth Oriana, you are not so, that have I now seen. I beseech you, tell me who you are, who have gone through such danger for my sake. Gavarta of the perilous valley, who grieves to see what your father purposes against you, but I trust in God he will find it difficult to accomplish. So many of this land and of other lands shall perish first, that all the world shall hear of it. Ah, Don Gavarte, my good friend, God grant there may come a time when I can reward your loyalty. You are my natural lady, and it was always my desire to serve you, and now is it more so in this injustice. I will be in your succour with those who serve you. I beseech you, my friend, think then as you do now. That shall I do as loyally I ought, replied Gavarte, and with that he took his leave. Oriana then went up to Mabilia, who was with Queen Sardamira. Methinks, said the Queen, we are equal in our defenders. I know not if it be their fault or the ill luck of the road, that your knights should be defeated where mine were. At this they all laughed, but the knights had such shame that they durst not appear before them. Then they waited a while, till the knights had holpen themselves, and till Lassenor's horse came back. Meantime, Oriana went aside with Mabilia, and read the letter, in which Agrayes and Don Florestan and Don Gandales informed her that Gandalin and Ardian the dwarf had arrived in the firm island, and that Amadis would be with them in eight days, and had sent to bid them prepare a great fleet. This tidings they knew would comfort her, and give her hope that God would be on her side. At this were they greatly comforted, as with hopes of life, for before they had only looked for death, and Mabilia comforted Oriana, and besought her to eat, but she who had not eaten food before for great affliction could scarcely eat now for very joy. As they drew near the town, King Lisuarte with the Romans, and many others, went out to meet them, but then Oriana began to wail aloud, and she alighted from her litter, and all her damsels alighted also, and when they saw her make that dolorous lamentation, they also lamented, and tore their hair, and kissed her hands and her garments, as if death was come upon them, so that all present were moved to great compassion. The king, beholding this, was greatly displeased, and he said to King Arban of North Wales, Go to Oriana, and tell her I feel the greatest pain in the world to see her thus and command her from me to return into her litter, and bid her damsels remount their palfreys, and let her make better cheer, and go to her mother, for I will tell her news that shall rejoice her. King Arban did accordingly as he was commanded, but Oriana answered, O oh, King of North Wales, my good cousin, since such is my ill fortune, that you and they who go through many perils to assist unhappy damsels cannot assist me with your arms, now help me with your words, and beseech my father not to do me this wrong, and not to tempt God, who hath favoured him so long. 
persuade him to come to me, my cousin, and with him Count Argamon and Don Grumedan, for I will not stir from hence till they come. King Arban, hearing her speak thus, could not reply for weeping. He went back to the king, and repeated what Oriana had said. But King Lisuarte was full loath to expose himself to public view with his daughter, for the more notorious her repugnance and grief should be, the greater would be his fault. Howbeit Count Argamon entreated him to grant her request, and Don Grumedan, coming up, they went together towards her. When Oriana saw him approaching, she went on her knees towards him, and her damsels with her, but he alighted and took her up and embraced her. "'My father and lord,' said she, "'have pity on your own child, and hear me before these good men.' "'Daughter,' said he, "'say what you please. I will hear you as I ought, with fatherly love.' Then she fell upon the ground to kiss his feet, but he drew back and raised her again, and she said, "'My lord, it is your pleasure to send me to the Emperor of Rome, and to separate me from you, and from the Queen my mother, and from this land of which God has made me a native. From this departure I expect nothing but death, either that it will come to me, or that I shall give it to myself, so that in neither way can your will be performed, and you will incur great sin. I shall be disobedient, and that upon your account, or I shall die and by your fault.' but to prevent all this, and to serve God, I will enter into religion, and so pass my life, leaving you to dispose of your kingdom as it may please you, and the right which God hath given me I will renounce to my sister Leonoretta, or whomsoever else you may choose. And better, sir, could you give her to the emperor of the Romans than me, for should he obtain me he will become your mortal enemy, all that he covets being the possession of this kingdom." "'Daughter,' replied the king, "'I understand what you say, and will answer you before your mother. Go into your litter, and proceed to her.' They then placed her in her litter, and conducted her to the queen, who received her with great love, but weeping, for that marriage was against her will. But neither she, nor the nobles, nor the people of the realm, could make Lisuarte change his resolution, and for this reason Fortune, who was wary of favouring him, now showed herself contrary to him more to the advantage of his soul than of his honour. Count Argamon, perceiving that his advice was of no avail, requested leave to go to his own land, and he departed. The king then, after he had taken food and the cloths were removed, called for Brondachel of the Rock, and said to him, "'You see, my friend, how much this marriage is against the will of my daughter and of my vassals, who dearly love her, but I will not for that depart from my promise.' Make ready your vessels, and on the third day I will deliver her into your charge. But when you have her on board, see that you do not permit her to quit her cabin, lest some evil should happen. Wondachel answered, All shall be done, sir, as you command. And though it be now grievous to my lady the empress to depart from this land where her friends are, yet when she beholds the greatness of Rome, and how knights and princes will then humble themselves before her, she will soon be well satisfied and ere long, sir, we shall write to you such tidings. The king smiled, and embraced him, saying, I believe that you are such as will soon make her regain her cheerfulness. Salustanquidio, who was now recovered, besought him to send Olinda with his daughter, and he being a king, promised to take her to wife when she arrived. At this the king was well pleased, and praised Olinda, saying, that for her virtues and great beauty she well deserved to become a queen.' 
The next day they stored their ships, and Magalin and his brethren presented themselves before the king, and said to Don Grumedan, The day of your shame is come, for to-morrow is the term which you and your folly appointed for the combat. Hope not to avoid it, for that can only be done by your confessing yourself conquered. You shall now pay for your insolence as one who have more years than wisdom. Don Grumedan, who was almost beside himself at this menace, rose up to answer, but the king, who knew his temper, when his honour was concerned, said to him, I beseech you, Don Grumedan, for my sake, say nothing in reply, but make ready for the battle. You know better than any one else that these matters are not to be decided by words, but by deeds. Sir, said he, I will obey you. To-morrow I will be in the field with my companions, and then shall the worth or the no-worth of each be known. The Romans then retired, and the king, calling Don Grumedan apart, asked of him, Who have you to help you against these knights? For they appear to me strong and courageous. Sir, quoth the old man, I have God to help me, and this body, and this heart, and these hands, which he hath given me. If Don Galaor should arrive before tears to-morrow, I shall have him, for I know he will maintain my cause, and then I care not for a third. If he does not come, I will fight them all three, one after another, if that may be allowed. The king replied, Do you not see that the challenge was three against three, and they will not alter it? As God shall help me, I grieve to see that you have no comrades such as you need in this great danger. Sir, cried the old knight, fear not for me. God will help whom he pleases. I go against pride with courtesy and fair dealing, and that which is pleasing to God will bear me out. If Don Galaor should not come, and none other of your knights should offer themselves, I will take the two best of my own. Nay, replied Lisuarte, such assistance could not avail you. I will advise you better, my friend. I will secretly adventure my body with you in the battle, for you have often thrust yourself into extreme perils for me, and ungrateful should I be if I did not risk my life and honour for you in return. And while he said this, he embraced the old knight and wept. Don Gromedan kissed his hand and answered, This is indeed the greatest favour I ever received from you, and more than any services can ever have deserved. But this must not be, and God forbid that a king like you should commit such a fault, for you are king and lord and judge, and must deal by strangers in this case, even as by your own subjects. Since it is so, then, said Lisuarte, I can only pray to God to help you. Don Grumedan then went to his lodging, and ordered two of his knights to prepare to assist him in this battle. But I tell you that, courageous and practised as he was, his heart was bursting, for these men were not such as were needed in such a combat. Yet so good a heart had he, that rather would he have died than have done or said anything that might shame him, and he showed no fear. That night he passed in St. Mary's Chapel, and on the morrow heard Mass there with great devotion, beseeching God that he might perform this battle to his honour, or, if it was his pleasure, that his days should then come to an end, to have mercy on his soul. Then, with a good courage, he called for his armour, he put on his breastplate, which was strong and white, and over it a coat-armour of his own colours, which were murray with white swans. Before he had finished arming himself, there came in the fair damsel who had been ambassadress to Gersinda and the Greek knight, 
and with her two other damsels and two squires. She bore in her hand a goodly sword with rich accoutrements, and inquired for Grumedan, to whom she said, Sir, the Greek knight who loves you for what he has heard of you since he came into this land, and because he knows you have to do battle with the Romans, has left two right good knights, those whom you have seen in this company, and requests you to take no others as your comrades in this combat, but accept them on his faith without fear. And he sends you also this good sword, which has been tried as you beheld, when he struck the stone pillar with it, chasing that Roman. A joyful man was Don Grumedan at hearing this, knowing his own danger, and that they who were in the company of the Greek knight must be good men. Damsel, said he, God prosper the Greek knight, who is thus courteous to me, whom he knows not, and God grant that I may one day requite him. She replied, Sir, you would truly esteem him if you knew him, and so will you these his comrades when you have tried them. Go now forth, for you will find them waiting for you at the lists. Don Grumedan drew the sword which had been sent him, and he saw how bright it was, and that it bore no mark of the mighty blow it had given, and he blessed it, and girded it on instead of his own. And he mounted the horse which Florestan had given him when he won it from the Romans, and rode out, appearing like a comely and brave old man. He and the two other knights courteously greeted each other, but he could not discover who they were, and then they entered the lists to the great joy of all who loved Don Grumedan to see him in such company. The king marvelled much that these knights, having no cause and not knowing Don Grumedan, should place themselves in such danger, and seeing the damsel ambassadress, he sent for her, and said, Damsel, why have these knights of your company taken up the quarrel of one whom they know not? Sir, she replied, the good as well as the worthless are known by their feats, and the Greek knight, having heard of the worth of Don Grumedan, and how this battle was appointed, and that few of your good knights were at this time present, left here his companions to be his helpmates. Such men are they, that before noon be past, the arrogance of the Romans shall yet be humbled lower, and the honour of your knights well maintained. Glad was the king at this, for he feared greatly for Don Grumedan, and in his heart he thanked the Greek knight, more than he in words expressed. The three knights entered the lists, and placed themselves at one end, Don Grumedan being between the other twain. Presently King Arban of North Wales and the Count of Clara came in as judges on their part, and Salustanquidio and Brondachel of the Rock on the part of the Romans. Ere long the Roman knights appeared on goodly horses, and armed in new and rich armour, and being of great stature and large-limbed, they had the semblance of valiant men. They came with bagpipes and trumpets, and other loud instruments. All their countrymen accompanied them, and in this array they went before the king, and said, Sir, we will carry the heads of those Greek knights to Rome, and let it not displease you if we do the same with Don Grumedan, for your displeasure would grieve us. Bid him, therefore, unsay what he has said, and confess that the Roman knights are the best in the world. The king, instead of replying to this speech, said, Go do your battle, and let them who shall win their enemies' heads do with them as they please. They then entered the lists, and the two Roman judges placed them in their places, while King Arban and the Count of Clara did the same by Grumedan and his companions. The queen now came with her dames and damsels to the window to behold this combat, and she sent for Don Guilan the Pensive, who was still weak with his sickness, and for Sendel of Ganota, whose wound was not yet healed, 
and she said to Don Guilan, My good friend, what think you of this point wherein my father Don Grumedan is placed? For she called him father, because he had fostered her. Those devils terrify me, they are so huge and fierce. Lady, replied Guilan, the event of arms depends upon God and a good cause. Were I yonder with those two knights in the stead of Grumedan, I should not fear the Romans, though a fourth were added to them. Much was the queen consoled at that saying, and she prayed to God in her heart to help her foster-father. The knights now moved on to their encounter. They were all practised in arms and in horsemanship, and neither missed his encounter. Their lances all break, and then happened what never before had been seen in a combat of so many before the king, that the three Romans were borne from their saddles, and Don Grumedan and his comrades kept their seats unmoved. Presently they turned their horses, and saw that the Romans had risen and stood together. Don Bruneo, who had received a slight wound on his left side, said to Grumedan, "'Since we have shown them that we know how to joust, it would not be reasonable now they are on foot to attack them on horseback.' The three then alighted, and went up to their antagonists. "'Sir Knights of Rome,' said Bruneo, "'you must have left your horses to show how little you regard them. But though we are not so renowned as you are, we will not permit you to make this boast, and therefore have also forsaken ours.' The Romans, whose pride was somewhat quelled by their fall, made no reply, but fell to with their swords." Then was there a fierce battle, and its marks were seen in broken shields and helmets and streaming wounds. But Don Grumedan, whose enmity against the Romans was very great, chafed himself with great choler, and pressing on before his comrades, was sorely hurt. But at that the other twain, who had hitherto kept back their strength while they bore the heat of their enemy's fury, now showed themselves, and pressed on the Romans with such might that the most they could do was to defend themselves, and that hardly. Maganil, who was the bravest of the Romans, being no longer able to endure Angriotte's blows, gave way before him, and drew as near to the queen's window as he could, and cried out, Mercy, lady, for God's sake, and I confess all that Don Grumedan has said. Shame on thee, cried the conqueror, that is already manifest. And he plucked off his helmet, and lifted his arm as if to behead him, but at that the queen withdrew, and Don Guilan then cried out, "'Sir Knight of Greece, do not carry so proud a head as this to your country, but let him carry his sweet odours where they will be liked.' "'So be it, then,' replied Angriotte, "'for the queen's sake and for yours, whom I know not, I leave him to you, see you that his wounds be cured, for I have cured him of his arrogance.' Then he turned back, and saw that Don Grumedan had smote his enemy, and was kneeling on his breast, and pummeling his face with the hilt of his sword, but the Roman cried out aloud, "'Ah! Don Grumedan, spare me! I confess what you have said is truth, and what I said is a lie!' Angriotte, full glad at this, called the judges, to hear what the Roman said, and showed them how the other one had fled out of the lists from Don Bruneo but Salustanquidio and Brondagel were so cast down that they retired to their lodging and could not appear before the king. Don Grumedan then rode before the king and kissed his hand, and Bruneo said, God be with you, sir, we must return to our friend the Greek knight. God be with you, replied Lisuarte, you have truly shown yourselves to be good men in arms. The damsel ambassadress then said to Lisuarte, 
be pleased, sir, to hear me a while in private before I depart. The king then bade all present withdraw, and then she said to him, Sir, hitherto you have been the best of all Christian kings, and he to whom all damsels looked with the most assured hope to have their wrongs redressed. How is your noble condition altered that you use this cruelty and this sin against God and your own daughter and your natural subjects? You who as king are bound to observe right to all, and as father to protect her, though she were by all the world forsaken. Not only to all the world is this an ill example, but her tears and lamentations rise up to God against you. Look to it, and let the end of your days be like the beginning. Now God prosper you. God be with you, damsel, replied Lisuarte. Of a truth I believe you are good and of great discretion. She went to the two knights, and they embarked on board their galley, and made such speed that in two days and nights they rejoined their fleet. Joyfully were they welcomed, and right glad was the Greek knight to hear how they had succoured Don Grumedan in his need. "'Know you what the king will do with his daughter?' said Grasinda. "'In four days she will be delivered to the Romans. But to see, lady, the grief which she and her damsels and all the people make!' no tongue can tell it. Tears came into Grasinda's eyes, and she prayed God to send that poor princess some help in this so great and undeserved a calamity. But the Greek knight was a happy man hearing this, for he had resolved to rescue her. He neither regarded the power of King Lisuarte nor of the Emperor of Rome, for he could give them enough to do, and as by no other way could he hope to gain possession of his beloved, so also in thus winning her, she would be his without any fault or breach of duty. These thoughts possessed him, when at the hour of tears they reached the port in the firm island. The islanders, who daily expected him, had seen the fleet afar off, and knew his signals. Then was their great joy, for they all loved him well, and they crowded down to the shore, and with them his kinsmen and friends. When Grasinda beheld such a multitude awaiting them, she was greatly amazed, and the more so hearing them shout welcome, welcome our Lord, who has so long been absent from us. Sir, quoth she, how is this that they greet you thus? He replied, Pardon me, lady, that I have so long concealed myself, for otherwise I could not have done without danger. I am master of this island, and that Amadis of Gaul, of whom you have sometimes heard. These knights are all my kinsmen and friends, and that multitude my vassals. Hardly will you find knights in the world to equal their valour. I did not know you, replied Grisinda, and I treated you as a poor errant knight. How by some consolation is it to think that what honours you received from me were paid to your own valour only, not to your rank or power. Lady, said Amadis, the honours I received from you are more than either I or those who are better than me can ever repay. Now had they reached the shore. Don Gandales was ready with twenty palfreys for the damsels, but for Grisinda her own palfrey was landed, whose trappings were worked with gold and silver. She clad herself in rich attire, planks were laid from the boat for the landing, and on the shore Agrias stood to welcome them, and Don Quaragante, and Don Florestan, and Gavarta of the Perilous Valley, and the good Don Dragonis, and Orlandin, and Ganges of Sadoka, and Argamon the Brave, and Sardonan the brother of Angriote, 
and his nephews Pinores and Sarquiles and Madansil of the Silver Bridge, and above thirty other good knights, and the good knight Enil was already in the boat talking with Amadis, and Ardian the dwarf, and Gandalin with the damsels of Grasinda. Then Amadis took Grasinda by the arm and led her on shore, and Agrayas and Florestan placed her on her palfrey, and she and her damsels were conducted to the rich palace whereof you have formerly heard. Then was there great feastings made by Gandalin, and Ardian the dwarf, who was steward of the hall, saw that all was well ordered, and many things did he say of merriment whereat they all laughed. Amadis took Master Helisabad by the hand, and told all the knights that to him, next to God, he was indebted for his life, and he placed him at table between himself and Gavarta of the Perilous Valley. Yet could not all this festival, nor the joy at seeing again so many and so dear friends, so cheer Amadis, that he was not sorely troubled, fearing lest the Romans might escape him on the sea. So after the cloths were removed, he besought all the knights to remain and hear him. They were all silent, and he began. Sirs, since I left you last, I have traversed many strange lands, and achieved many adventures, whereof it would be long to tell. But what most occupied me was to redress the injuries of dames and damsels, for as they are born to obey, and as their strongest arms are tears and sighs, so are we bound to protect them against all who would do them wrong, and fight their battles, even as the Greeks and Romans did in old times, whereby they have obtained such glory as shall last while the world endures. But now since my return to these countries I have heard how King Lisuarte will deprive his daughter Oriana of the kingdom which is her lawful inheritance, and give her in marriage to the Emperor of Rome, against the consent of all his people, and against her own will, for she cries aloud to God and to the whole world, complaining of this great cruelty. If this indeed be true that Lisuarte will commit this wickedness, fearing neither God nor man, in an ill hour were we born if we do not remedy it. Now tell me each of you your judgment, for you know mine. The knights looked at Agrayas to speak for them. Your coming, my good cousin, quoth he, hath doubled our strength and courage, yet when we had little hope of that, we had determined to prevent this wrong, and die ourselves, or destroy these Romans. This did they all affirm, and cried out that there should be no delay. Then Amadis left Grasinda in the care of Isanjo, the governor, and he would have left Master Helisabad also, but the master said, Sir, if ever I can serve you, it must be in adventures like these, wherein you may perchance stand in need of my skill. Ah, good master, and my good friend, cried Amadis, God grant that I may live to give you a fit guerdon. Then bade he all the roads be guarded, that no tidings might be carried from the island, and that night they all embarked and made sail towards that part of the sea whereby the Romans must needs pass. End of Book 3, Chapter 17